the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Isn't it odd how that when things seem to be going well, it doesn't take much for something to happen that causes us to have a propensity to complaining and maybe whining and these type of things? Well, you know, the Apostle Paul, he looked at a church there in Philippi and he was so blessed by that church. He says, you bring me so much joy. And yet he reminded them, though, to be very careful about complaining. And I believe he knew it because, you know, you can have a lot of joy, but it just takes one person complaining that can suck the energy out of a relationship, suck the energy out of an event, or suck the energy out of a family at gathering. And so he says, you know, I really want you to be careful of complaining. And it's easy for us. We know that. You know that if you've got a person in your family that seems to have a low point where they like to whine some, it just seems you kind of feed into that. And they're kind of manipulating you to try to get them to quit whining. And you try to feed that by uh, refocusing them or listening to them and helping them. But those whiners sometimes can take the joy out of your life. And I'm wondering sometimes if maybe Madison Avenue has already worked us that way by advertising so much, helping us to maybe not feel content with what we have. So then we begin to say, you know, I don't really know. Maybe if I had this or I can go there, I could buy this, that I might have a little bit more happiness. So they almost create a low-grade infection of whining. Now that I say all of that, you need to know that even as your pastor, that, you know, we're facing constantly issues that come up all over. And it's easy for us, even pastors, to kind of roll down the road of complaining and whining. So this message is as much for me, much for those that are in leadership, as it would be for you today. And I imagine that by the end of today, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have another set of glasses and another set of ears, and you'll be able to spot a whiner just like that. And that's going to help you. And I'm telling you that this is not for us to judge them. They just didn't have the privilege of hearing what God had to say from his word right here. Now, look at this, if you will, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And you're going to read how strong Paul was on reminding the Philippian people, like he does to us, not to whine. Would you read out loud for me Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15? Just those two verses alone. Here's what you read. It says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, let me say this very quickly as I go over the four common types of whiners. If some of you are thinking that I have a particular person in mind, I really don't. I am big enough to know that there are always going to be some people that will have some whining going on, but this message wasn't designed to use the pulpit as a bully pulpit to hit any one person. It was designed to teach the Bible verse by verse, and we happened to be in a section as we just flowed right through it. So if this is coming to you, you might ask yourself, hmm, 
God has something here for me, doesn't he? And there may be something in there for you. So let me talk about the four common types of whiners and see if maybe we could identify with one of them. One of them would be called the complainer, the complainer. I read where someone said that complaining is really useless when we complain about our problems because half the people when we complain, uh, they aren't interested. And the other half of the people hear you when you complain and they think you deserve it actually. So sometimes it's not good to complain. These are the people, they don't rise and shine. They seem to kind of rise and whine. They start their day off with things like this. And their common phrases go something like this. It's not fair what they're doing to me. Or I don't deserve this. Look at how much work I've done. And now they're doing something different. Or everybody else gets all the breaks, but I don't get them. Now, I don't want to reduce complaining to just those three little identifiers, but there are many more and it goes in that particular direction. But do you know that it seems to be human nature to complain? If I took you back thousands of years ago, even the children of Israel who witnessed the supernatural working of God in their life and that God took them out of bondage and gave them a future of a promised land and provided for them until they got there. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. It says, then the whole congregation, that's like a whole church, circle the word whole, almost eliminating anybody. All right, meaning everybody was complaining. It says they complained against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. One may have been a political leader. The other could have been more of a pastoral leader, however you want to look at it. But the whole congregation experienced God's blessing, but still they wanted more or something else, and they blamed it on their leaders. So there's complaining in Exodus chapter 16. Look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 1 and 4. It says this, Now when the people complained... It displeased the Lord. Would you mark that it displeased the Lord? Because when God hears you complain, God says he's displeased. It says, for the Lord heard it. And it says, and his anger was aroused. So not only was he displeased, but when he hears us complain, he now becomes angry over this. It's hard to believe that, but there is a God who will do that. And then it goes on to say, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and he began to do judgment. And there are some of us that could be complaining and we're going to be experiencing the judgment of God. You may be living right now without God's best in your life because it's a form of judgment. I don't know. Matthew chapter 20 talked about how it happened in the world of work. It says when they had received it, they complained against the landowner. And what did they say? These last guys that were hired, they only worked for one hour. But you, boss, you made them equal to us, and we borne the the, the work all day long in the heat, and we got paid just the same as much as they did. So there's people in the Bible, people in the New Testament, people today, and maybe even people in this room that has sometimes a challenge with complaining. We all do. So we're no pointing our finger at anyone in particular. The issue is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to deal with this negative trait and help it along? Let's look at number two. The second type of uh, whiner is the one who has the martyr attitude. They say such things as this. I work real hard. Nobody appreciates me. No matter what I do, they really don't care what I do. I donate, I give, I sacrifice, I give up. Don't they see what I'm doing here? And there's more whiners in the Bible. You'll see Numbers again, chapter 11. Moses speaks about that. Elijah speaks to that. And I can't help but think of probably the number one Bible figure who whined a lot was Jonah. He complained about everything. And so there was the martyr even in Jonah. These kind of people, they have parties, but you could refer to them as pity parties. It seems like wherever they go, they want people to take pity on them. When they're sick or under pressure, they want everybody to know about it. And they want to do things, perhaps even to get attention. So that could be something to put them at the center of things. So they've got to kind of squeak the loudest, martyr type people. The third type of whiner is known as a cynic. 
this is a different style of whining, but it still falls underneath that same umbrella of whining. And their attitude is nothing will ever change. It's going to be this way all the time. Or it won't work. Why try it? We've never done it that way before, so don't try new things. And so they're ones that are cynics, so they're not willing to make changes. They're not willing to accept changes when it's put upon them or suggested. In other words, they just feel so cynical about it. In Ecclesiastes, even the preacher there says, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In other words, how cynical that is. They have a what's the use attitude. It's not going to change. It's always going to be like this. What's the use? And so what they do, they begin to pull back. They pull back from others. They don't become supportive of a family. They don't become supportive on the job. In other words, they just go through the motions. They do their duty. They're kind of in a, a, a neutral, paralyzed motion, but they're going nowhere. And here's the fourth one. And sometimes um, I, I look at myself. I can see a little bit of me in all three of those. But if I had to pick one, I sometimes have a perfectionist nature about me. And that puts me in a position where I then could become a whiner or a complainer. So let's see what that is, because maybe some of you could be the same way. They say such things as, is that the best you can do, or is that all? In other words, they kind of put, put people and they micromanage them to get more horsepower and get it done their way. So it's a perfectionist. In Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen, it says, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Now, when I think of that, some of you are going to sit and you're going to hear the drip, drip, drip off our roof here on the backside of our building and over here on the sidewalk. And when you do, I don't want you to think about a contentious woman as much as I want you to think about the dripping of people who complain and whine. Just drip, 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 drip. Look at Proverbs 21:19. It says, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. All right, now, those kind of people tend to be perfectionists because it never reaches their standard and they push, 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 push. Now, let me make sure I become politically correct here. Although scripture here is identifying women, I want to be very quick to say that men also can have a perfectionist nature. There are perfectionist husbands. There are perfectionist fathers that are out there where the kids never do enough, where they keep being pushed in sports and grades and other things. And I'll tell you, when you live in a home like that, the home sits underneath a shadow of gloom and failures because the standard is so high nobody can reach that. And then that person who's the perfectionist sits back and they complain about people, they complain about problems, and they have a real big challenge going on in their life. Now here's a question you can ask yourself for just a moment. If your children have a tendency to be whiners or complainers or murmurs or grumblers, is it possible that they learned that by being so many years hearing you as a parent being a whiner and a grumbler because you have a standard of excellence and you're always judging and you're always comparing and you're always giving your opinion and you think this is right and that's wrong. So now your kids pick up that. So they begin to evaluate everything that's around them and they end with, with less grace and a lot more judgment. I don't know, but I do know that in my life, the apple will not fall far from the tree. Let's go back to the passage, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, and let's see what it says in the original language because it's really not pop psychology. God is speaking to a real issue here that's huge. He says in verse 14, the first part of it, he says, do all things without. Would you circle the word all? Now, that is a big word even though it's three letters. That all could be housework, working on a computer, doing your homework, helping around the church. Whatever job that you might have in your world, it says do all things without and then it explains what it is. It's interesting because if you go back to the original language, it's in a tense that's in the present tense, which should read this way. Constantly be doing all things without. 
So whatever it might be, there ought not to be any complaining while you do it. I remember my dad, he happened to be a very, very positive man. I, I, I don't know how God wired him. He didn't come to know the Lord as his Savior until he was late in life, which leads, leads me to believe that some people, even though they're not Christians, can have a more positive bent about them. But when they become a Christian and they're filled with the love and the grace and the mercy of God, they can really crank it up even one more notch. But I remember my dad often when people would come up to him and they would say, well, Rudy, because that was his first name. Hey, Rudy, how's it going? And here was his stock answer. He'd say, can't complain. It doesn't do any good anyway. And he'd say that everywhere he went. And I'm wondering if he bought into that value that sometimes we can't complain because it won't do a lot just complaining. So instead of just identifying all the problems, maybe we can be a part of the solution. I never really had the chance, and I wish I did. He's in heaven now, to really kind of figure out how he arrived at that. It's not good to complain because can't do much about it anyway. It's better to just take it right now, make lemonade, and move on rather than sit there and murmur, murmur, and grumble, grumble, grumble. So it says, do all things without murmuring. Let's go to the, the second part of verse 14. It says this. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Now, God could have chosen you know, a lot of other words, but he chose these two words. And if you take these words and you run them through the grid of all scripture, you're going to find that it actually says two separate things. They're in the same camp, but they're a little bit different. The first one is the word complaining, and that means to mutter in a low tone. It means to secretly complain to other people. It means it's coming to you more of a grumble, grumble, murmur, murmur. It's like when you ask someone, they don't say anything, but here's what they do. Can you see this? Here's what they do. Now, you couldn't see that on your radio as you were following me, but you know what I did? When someone says something you don't like, you never want to be identified as a whiner or complainer, but you have spoke volumes by your body language, like, and you roll your eyes or whatever else you do. You want them to know that you don't like whatever it's going to be. You don't mind that they know all of this, but you won't go on record of saying it. And so that becomes more of a silent complaining. Now, it doesn't mean you never speak a word, but it leans more towards sending some form of a signal that you are disagreeing with how things are going around here, family or whatever it might be. And it's interesting because God speaks very strongly to that, and he deals very severely, not with the body language, but with the attitude that's there. And he does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He does it again in Numbers. If you go through Scripture, every time he addresses the issue of complaining, he then shows how he's going to judge that. And some of you are wondering, why in the world would God be so strong about dealing with whiners and complainers? You're going to see in just a moment why God has to deal with it. It's not just a light character flaw. It's not just a bad habit. It's not just, well, that's just the way they are, so just forget about it. No, God says it's so severe, I have to deal with it. And he's going to show us why in just a moment. So we can do it or God can take care of it in our life. The next word is the word disputing. That was a word that took it more than just complaining. Now it comes into a dialoguing effect. It's where you begin to argue and to disagree. Now let me make sure we keep you in balance here. It is not wrong to disagree with someone or something and how things are being done. God talks to us about being discerning and wise and speaking up for injustice. But at the same time, he says you do it in a spirit that's agreeable. So you may disagree. You may even agree to disagree. But you do it in an agreeable fashion. In a little bit, you might see how that's to be done. So we keep it properly balanced. So it doesn't mean you can't disagree. But it means when you begin to place judgment, you begin to cast down the value or the integrity of others. Or you make assumptions that are just wild, inflamed phrases about your boss or, or about someone in your family or your mate or your kids or your parents. And God says that 
that's, that's wrong. He says, do everything without murmuring under your breath and do everything without disagreeing in a disagreeable fashion with others. Let them know you're part of the team and you're trying to come to the conclusion. Figure out how you can still get to where everybody needs to go for the glory of God. So people will disagree, but we don't need to be disagreeable. Now, those are the two, two verse principles, but I want to go a little bit further by explaining how do we actually win over it. And I'm going to give you some principles. I'm going to come back and show you why this is so serious and that there is some benefits for those of us that say, you know what, I know that I have that problem and I'm humbling myself, I'm repenting, I'm changing my mind. I want you to know that God is up there smiling and he says there are some wonderful benefits for those of you that will redirect that part of your life and you'll see what they are when I finish. Number one, he says, admits it's a problem. We've got to admit that it's a problem. We've got that issue. Now, for a moment here, don't look to someone else. You want to do it to yourself. It's a problem. And I know that some of you that live around a lot of people that seem to have their opinions and they seem to be negative and it's against the flow of things in your family, family reunions, people that are on your team or your club, that I'm going to tell you, you have to admit that it's a problem. It's a sin. However you want to name it as it is, complaining, grumbling, murmuring, disputing. God says, stop doing it. Do everything without that. It's a sin. So we have to admit that it's a problem. Look at the verse, Proverbs 28, 13. And I'm going to read it to you. Then I'm going to put it into our language for today. Here's what it says. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So let's make it fit for today. You could read it this way. He who covers his whining, in other words, still whines, but does it a little bit more discreet about this thing, doesn't really deal with it as God would have them to deal with it. He kind of covers it, will not prosper. If you ignore it, if you blame others, it's not my fault, they make me this way, you're not dealing with your own sin. But he who covers it, he who shuts their mouth but doesn't deal with the hard attitude, will not prosper. But whoever confesses it, now not to us, but to the Lord, say, you know what, I do have a problem. I need to get this thing corrected in my life. I am hurting myself. I'm hurting others in my family, on my job, where I work, or where I go to school, maybe even in the church, wherever it might be in your life, and I've got to deal with it. But when you confess it, and then you say, by God's grace and His power for His glory in obedience to Him, because He's the Lord of my life, He says, you are going to prosper. I can only assume that God will grant me mercy and prosperity when I do it His way. That's called faith. And I'm wondering how much blessing is available to you right now on your job. Those of you that are salespeople, those of you that are dealing with health issues, those that are dealing with developing your staff or wherever it might be, it might work within you to say, you know what, I got to deal with this because there are great benefits, but also great consequences. All right, number two, I have to accept responsibility for my own life. All right, I have to accept responsibility for my own life. This is not a time to blame place. It is easy to say that my life has problems. I didn't do these. Others have brought it into my life. That's not denying. That's true. But to be careful that you don't complain and grumble about it. That's the issue. You don't deny you have issues. You don't deny that you have problems. You don't deny that you've got struggles. And you don't deny that others might have even brought it into your life. Maybe they drove poorly and they backed into your car. Maybe someone didn't take care of the rice cooker and some rice got burned and it burned your house down. I don't know. But that may have been someone else's, but it's how we handle those that brings glory to the Lord. In Proverbs 19.3, it says this, The foolishness of man twists his ways. In other words, he blames. And his heart frets against the Lord. In other words, he doesn't just give it all up to God. All right? And we need to do that. If I could put it into a common language, it'd say this, Don't complain about a broken dish if you're the one who dropped it. 
Many times, complaining is an excuse for nothing more than irresponsibility. If you're in debt, cut back on your spending. If you aren't appreciated, are you really sincerely, genuinely appreciating others without doing it to get something? If you want friends, are you the one who's friendly? Now, there are three kinds of people that I think that are in our life. And I don't know that they're in your outline here, so you might want to write them in your notes. They're very simple to remember. Three kinds of people. And when I look at these, I'm not looking to identify, are you one of those? I'm looking to say, where am I on this list of three? The first one we call them are accusers. They go around saying, it's your fault. The reason we have problems, it's your fault. The reason our problems in the marriage, it's your fault. Now, there will be fault that needs to be assumed by everybody in a breakdown. But right now, the accuser is going around looking at everybody else and accusing them. A good example of that would be Adam. Yeah, we know that Eve took the fruit, but we also know Adam did too. But he blamed his wife, and then he blamed God because it was God who made the woman who did this, who brought him down. So he was a great example, or I could say a bad example. Maybe he's a good example of a bad situation of blaming others. And of course, that didn't help Adam out. Did, he, did God say, oh, you know what? You're really right. No big deal. Don't feel so bad. You are right. A lot more people are involved in this problem than you, Adam. No, he said, no, it's through you, Adam, that brought them the moral ruin of the human race. Okay, and so it doesn't matter. We cannot blame. So accept responsibility for yourself. So the first one are the accusers. The second one are the excusers. These are the ones that say, it's not my fault. First one says, it's your fault. This one says, it's not my fault. I'm this way because how I was raised or how I'm being treated or whatever. And then we begin to find fault with all the people that are out there that do the things that they do that brought uh, trouble into my world. So we call those the excusers. I accuse you, it's your fault. I excuse myself of taking responsibility. And if I'm looking for a premier Bible character who did that, I couldn't think of anyone better than the man named Aaron. Now, when Aaron did it, there he was, same children of Israel, around the same kind of grumbling people. Maybe a little bit of that grumbling dirt fell off on him. Moses is up with God talking to God, getting the commandments at that time. He's been gone a long time. The people now are saying, whatever happened to our leader, he's not here. I need to have a new leader. Why don't you make us an idol? So Aaron then, what did he do? He listened to the people and he collected a lot of their jewelry. He melted it all down, put together a cow, said, now worship him. Now Moses hears about all of this and Joshua's up there with him and says, hey, I think there's a war going on in a camp. And so Moses very quickly says, no, 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 no. If it was a war, it'd be a lot different. This is the sound of these people doing sin. I'm just paraphrasing it. So he goes on down there and as he gets down there, he says, what in the world is going on? Moses knew what happened. And then Aaron says this, the people made me do it. All right, so here's a person who wasn't just an accuser. He was an excuser saying, it's not my fault. They made me do it. Let me say this quickly now. It seems that accuser type and excuser type that we have those two that go on in our own lives almost simultaneously. We almost say, it's not my fault, it's their fault. So we become both. What God would prefer for us to be is be less of an accuser and excuser and be more of a chooser, which is number three. This is where we choose to accept responsibilities for these problems. We begin to be a part of the solution. And we move on for the glory of God, blessing as many people that are around us as we can. They become the most effective for the Lord. I'd like to talk about prickly people. Now, I'm not talking about Joyce, uh, I forget her name, uh, Florence Littower calls them irregular people. They may be irregular, but I'm going to talk about prickly people. You know, when you see a porcupine, they kind of, when they get reared up, they stick out their quills. 
And they do that to protect them because what animal wants to bite through quills to get to the meat of a porcupine? So they become what we call prickly people. God's created them to save those kinds of people. Those of you that worked out here in the yard, you know that some of the bushes we were bringing down had some little razor sharp edges or some points on it. And those are prickly so we wouldn't uh, get in there and play. That's to protect the fruit or protect the flower of this, protect the beauty of it. Well, sometimes people, because for whatever reasons, they're trying to protect their own emotions, their own little world, their own little power structure, they become prickly people. They become people that whenever you're around them, they're complaining, they're disputing, they're throwing everybody off balance, everybody off, off guard, so everybody's in a defensive mode around them, and when you're in a defensive mode, you're not necessarily in a building mode, you're in there trying to rethink, trying to figure all this stuff out. Now, once in a while, when a person becomes a little prickly, it's kind of good because maybe, watch this now, you might have stepped over your bounds and you did do something or not do something that you really honestly should have as a Christian. But those people who tend to throw up their quills constantly, you ask yourself, why don't I have a lot of friends? Why aren't I asked to go out for a lot of meals? How come my kids don't want to walk with me in the mall? How come I can't be able to be on a a committee where people just uh, look to my advice for, for respect? It could happen because you tend to be a little bit more prickly. Now, we'll all have little prickly moments in our life, but if our whole tendency is to be prickly, or worse yet, we're prickly one day and we're smooth as silk the next day, and prickly the next day and smooth as silk the next day. We don't know what kind of a signal that's being sent out from you, so people then say, you know, I don't know what we're going to get. Fee-fi-fo-fum, are we going to get a monster today? You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.